What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Some of my favorite sequels and movies are where the character returns to the place where they were once defeated, where they once failed, where maybe they once had to uh, abandon. Uh, and when the return comes, things are different. Instead of getting defeated again, they now finally find victory. Uh, instead of failing, they finally win. Instead of abandoning the situation, they stay and fight. And you know, one of my favorite movies of the Star Wars genre is Return of the Jedi. And, and it's kind of for that reason of you see the Jedi, Luke Skywalker, who in Empire Strikes Back, he goes, he gets defeated, he gets his arm chopped off, he loses the battle, but you know he gets to return. That's not the end of the story. And the the end of the story is ultimately his victory. He comes back and he has that and, you know, return of the king with Lord of the Rings. And, you know, I love these stories where you have this kind of return to something that is different than the last time they were there. And, you know, we kind of see the same thing with Moses here in Exodus. The first time that he sought to deliver the nation of Israel when he thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, he fails miserably. You know, he's a man who tries in his own strength and his own power. You know, he kills that Egyptian and things don't go well for him. Pharaoh finds out, you know, wants him dead. And so he has to flee to Midian and he goes from being prince of Egypt to being a shepherd to a flock that he didn't even own himself. It was his father-in-law's and he's there for 40 years. And during that time in Midian, you know, I'm sure he thought, I'm never coming back to Egypt. I'm never going to get an opportunity to deliver the nation of Israel like I once did. You know, that was it. I failed. It's over. This is my new life here. You know, after 40 years, especially he's 80. You know, I'm sure there wasn't lots of thoughts thinking, yeah, I just can't wait till I get back there, till I get my second chance, till I get to go do that. I think he thought it's over. It's done. I had my opportunity. I failed. And, you know, this is it. This is my life. I'm going to be a shepherd until I die. Uh, but, you know, what we're going to see tonight is our next section titled The Return of Moses to Egypt and the Announcement of Deliverance to Israel. And I love this section because it's a great picture of what we see God able to do in the lives of people. Moses is a man who failed. Moses is a man who was defeated. He was someone who had to flee where he was. But wonderfully, that's not the end of the story for his life that God's able to return him back to Egypt, back to the place where he failed, back to the place in the specific area where he failed, where he wanted to be the deliverer but did not do it. He gets to come back to that, and now he's going to return, and God's going to use him to do what he once failed in before, but this time he's going to have victory. This time he's not going to flee from Egypt alone to Midian. He's going to deliver the nation of Egypt out of um the nation of Israel, sorry, out of Egypt. And so, you know, I love this because when we, we look at the stories of our own life, 
You know, we can all relate to Moses. We can all relate to failure. We can all relate to losing. We can all relate to abandoning things that we should have stuck out. Uh, and the wonderful thing is it's not the end of the story for us, that because we serve the God that we do who can change us, he wants to return us to those places where we were once defeated and give us victory over the things that we once couldn't get victory over before. And so I love this story. I love the return of Moses to the place where he once failed, but now is going to find victory. And it's just the start. We're going to see the rest of Exodus is really kind of the, the ongoing story of this victory that God's going to use Moses um, to do. But I really want us to kind of just emphasize that and focus on that tonight. Uh, and, you know, we ended our last section with Moses at the burning bush the call of God on his life. But yet we noted that he fought that. You know, oh, you're Moses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you go back to Egypt and you're going to speak to Pharaoh and you're going to speak to the Israelites and you're going to be my deliverer and my mouthpiece. And when Moses heard that, it wasn't like, finally, second chance. Yes, it was like he made lots of excuses Lots of concerns, you know, that he shared. He was concerned about his own ability. Oh, I don't speak well. I don't think I could do it. And he was concerned about whether the, you know, Israelites would receive him. You know, he was concerned about lots of different things. And then, you know, he finally just got to the real issue of, Lord, just send someone else. I'm not even going to make myself available. Why don't you just use someone else instead of me? But God deals with all those concerns, deals with the excuses, deals with the lack of desire to go. And that's where we left off last time in Exodus chapter 4. And so we're going to pick up tonight in verse 18. And so now the excuses have gone out. God's dealt with the excuses. So what is Moses going to do? How's he going to respond to this call of God on his life. Let's start in verse 18 and see. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So Moses has all these concerns. He has these excuses. He has these reasons for why he doesn't want to be obedient to the call of God in his life. And God deals with those concerns. He deals with those excuses. He deals with those reasons. And now Moses has a choice to make. All right, am I going to obey or not? Am I going to make a choice to say, I'm going to go. I'm going to do what God said for me to do. Or I'm going to stay. And I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it. And I love the first words here of verse 18 because we're told, Moses went. He does it. He, he leaves Midian to be obedient and go to Egypt. And this is a, a great response because he's given all the reasons why he shouldn't, all the excuses, all the things going through his mind, and God dealt with those. And now he's just at a place where it's like, all right, I got to choose whether to obey or to disobey. And fortunately, he chooses to obey. But you know what? What a sad story it would have been if we were told, and Moses stayed. He stayed in Midian for the rest of his life. He never went back to Egypt. He never was used by God to deliver the nation of Israel. How sad it would have been if this was the end for him. He just chose, you know what, Lord, just use someone else. I don't want, I don't want to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to follow your call. Unfortunately for many Christians, when God calls them to do something, the next words are not, so they went. Sadly, oftentimes it's, so they delayed, or even worse, so they never went. God says, go here, do this. I have this call for you. And we often just say, no, 
I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to go. Or, you know what, not right now. i got other things going on in my life. Maybe next year, next month, whenever, I'll delay it instead of just obeying what Lord wants from us. So Moses chooses to obey. He's going to go to Egypt. But, but notice what he does before he departs Midian. We're told, so he went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. So Moses, before he leaves Midian, notice what he does. And he doesn't have to do this. It's not like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, there's no way that Jethro would allow him to go. I mean, he's 80. You know, if he wants to leave, he can leave. But he has a responsibility. He is the one who takes care of Jethro's sheep. You know, Jethro employs him. And he's being responsible. Hey, I'm about to leave, which means you're not going to have the shepherd here. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to take, you know, your daughter. I'm going to take, you know, your grandchildren. And we're going to head to Egypt. And I think it's great that he has the respect that he comes to not only his employer, but more importantly, his father-in-law to have the courtesy of saying, hey, is it okay that I leave my responsibilities here and go to Egypt, and his father-in-law says, go in peace. Uh, and so, while Moses is still in Midian, God's going to speak to him even more. And this is what I love, because God knows Moses is struggling. We've already saw the last time we were in this, you know, he gave all those excuses. So Moses, you know, he's, he's taken a step of obedience, but it's not an easy step for him, because he's got a lot of reasons for why he thinks this could go bad, and maybe he shouldn't go, maybe he's not ready, maybe they won't receive him. All these things are going on in his mind. And so God's going to come to him once again and encourage him. Verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he rode, and he returned, sorry, to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand, and the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, See that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart, so he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So God shares two important things here with Moses. First, it's a, an encouragement of something that has already happened. And also, there's kind of a, a challenge and just a, a reminder of what's going to take place. But the first thing is an encouragement. He tells them, hey, all the people who sought to kill you 40 years ago, they're dead. So remember, when Moses killed that Egyptian, Pharaoh wanted him dead. And I'm sure there are other people among Pharaoh's entourage that wanted Moses dead. And so that Pharaoh especially is no longer alive. And so God is encouraging Moses with this because remember, Moses is thinking, I'm going to Egypt and I'm going to tell Pharaoh that he needs to let this people go. And he's thinking, it's the same Pharaoh who wants me dead. You know, so I'm going to show up. I know it's been 40 years, but I murdered an Egyptian and I ran away because they wanted me dead. And this is a guy I'm going to stand before. And there's probably this fear of like, right when I walk in the palace, they're going to try to chop my head off. So now the knowledge of, I'm not even standing before that guy. 
That guy's dead and gone. I don't even have to deal with him. The Pharaoh that I'm going to speak to is a completely different person. And so this, I'm sure, would have been comforting to Moses. It would have been something that was encouraging to him. And this is something I love about God. God knows there's fear. God knows there's issues inside of Moses that he's struggling with. And so he's wanting to continue to encourage him. Moses has already taken the step of obedience. I'm going to go. But God's saying, hey, as you're going... Let me encourage you with some things to help you continue on this journey to where I want you to be. And I love that God does that for us as well, because he knows the things we're afraid of. He knows the struggles that we have, and he comes alongside. He just encourages us with things that will help us continue in walking in obedience with the Lord. But not only does God encourage Moses by saying, the people who wanted you dead, they're actually now dead, but he's also going to prepare him for what the new Pharaoh is going to be like. And I like this about God as well, is you know, he, he prepares us for what we're coming into. So we're not just coming in line and clueless oftentimes. We say, hey, you know what? This is not going to be, you know, a bed of roses. It's not going to be you walk up and say, let my people go. And he says, sure. And we all just leave. And it's this simple thing. He wants Moses to understand there's going to be a long process of difficulty. And so notice what he says. He tells them ultimately that he's not going to listen to you. But this is something that he already told Moses back in chapter 3. He says, I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. And so here in 4, God's saying basically the same thing. He's not going to let you go right away. But God says something else here in chapter 4 that brings another aspect as to why Pharaoh won't let the people go. Notice God tells Moses that he is going to harden Pharaoh's heart so Pharaoh will not let the people go. Go. Now, this issue of God hardening the heart of Pharaoh has caused much debate, has a lot of people kind of going back and forth about, you know, the thought of that, of God hardening someone. Uh, And here we just have a reference to the fact that God's going to do it. Soon we're actually going to have the instance where it happens, the context of how it takes place. And so I want to wait until we get to the actual hardening to get into the details of, you know, well, what is this about God actually hardening someone's heart uh, or not hardening someone's hearts? And so we'll wait for that. But, but one thing I do want to throw out right now, if you're kind of struggling with that thought, is just understand that God never did this against Pharaoh's will. It wasn't like Pharaoh says, you know what, I want to do what's good. I want to do what's right. I'm a great leader. I don't want to have these people as my slaves anymore. I would love to let them go and leave. And the Lord say, no, 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 I'm going to force you to keep them. No, he's a wicked king. He's wanting to keep all these people for his own benefit. He's not a desiring to let them go and God forcing him not to. This is a man who already had a hard heart and God just coming alongside and saying, okay, I'm just going to continue to allow you and harden you toward this. But we'll see this in more detail as we get to it. But God's a part of this. And I think this is actually probably comforting to Moses to know that even though Pharaoh's going to say no, God's a part of that. No, God's actually a part of the hardening process of Pharaoh. So this is all in God's plan. It's not like I've sent you here, Moses, and man, it's not going the way that I planned. He was supposed to say, yes, I don't know what's going on. No, you're going to get there, Moses. He's going to say, no, I'm going to harden him. And it's all part of my plan because I have a plan in all of this. And I'm going to do all these miracles. We're going to have 10 plagues and all this is going to happen. And then finally, he's come to the place where he will let you and the people go. But you know what I think interesting as well 
is right at the beginning. God tells Moses to warn Pharaoh of something. And notice then the warning. And this is kind of, you know, surprising because sometimes we, we look at all the plagues and we get to the final plague, the worst of all, the death of the firstborn. But notice here in verse 22 and 23. Thus said the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Notice the message that Moses is to deliver to Pharaoh. First, Pharaoh, you need to understand how God sees the nation of Israel. They're like my firstborn son. And in that culture, the firstborn was the one, as we've seen so many you know, times, you know, the, the one that had the great inheritance, the one that was often you know, just favored in the sense of had so much more authority and control. And so you know, God's saying, hey, that's how I see Israel. They're like my firstborn child. I love them. They're precious to me. And I'm asking you to let them go. But I want you to understand something. If you don't let my firstborn go, I'm going to do something to you. There's going to be a severe consequence to you holding on to my firstborn. And the consequence is, I'll kill your firstborn son. And so right from the get-go, God's telling Moses, when you come and you speak to Pharaoh, he needs to hear this message of how much I love Israel, why I want them. But if you refuse to let them go, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill your firstborn son. And the thing that I find so sad about this is that Pharaoh gets this warning right away. He's warned of the extreme consequence of not letting the nation of Israel go. But you know what? You could think, who is this God? Why should I let him go? That's what he says. Who is this God who I should listen to? I'm Pharaoh. Now remember, the Egyptians thought that Pharaoh was a God. So he's thinking, I am God. I mean, who is this God that I should listen to him? Who do you think you're talking to? And you can totally understand that when Moses the shepherd shows up. But then all of a sudden, plague one goes. Then plague two. Then plague three. And each time, there's a warning. You don't let them go. This is what's coming. Frogs are coming. All right. Lights is coming. Okay. Hail's coming. All right. All these keep things keeps coming, and every time he begs, please pray to your God to stop it, and it stops. So he's fully aware of who he's messing with. He realizes the power of the God that he's messing with. And remember, nine plagues come. God gives him nine times to finally say, you know what? Yes, I submit. I will obey. I will let this group go. But he does not do it. He knows who he's up against. He knows the power of God and yet chooses to not do what God tells him to do. And sadly, the end of it is he does lose his firstborn son. He's actually going to lose everything. He's going to lose his rule. He's going to lose his kingdom. He's going to lose his firstborn son. And he's going to lose his life. Why? Because he stubbornly will not listen to what God wants him to do. And we see this contrast here with Moses and what I love, what we're seeing with what God's doing in Moses' life, where Moses, with all these excuses and all these things, he finally comes to that place where he says, Lord, I'll do it. I'll obey. I know I got all these things in my mind and all these things that I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to just go and obey you. I have an open heart that's willing to listen, willing to follow you. And then we got Pharaoh, who's hard-hearted. He thinks, Who should, why should I listen to this God? Why should I do anything that this God says? 
And sadly, it's not until he loses his firstborn, he loses what's most important to him, that he finally says, all right, I'll listen. I'll obey. And I think this is so sad because I see this in the lives of so many people in my life. I'm sure you've seen it in yours. Where it's not till we lose something that we really love that we finally are like, okay, now I'm going to listen. Okay, now I'm going to obey. And it's such a sad place to be that, you know, some of us, we, we, we learn only through our mistakes. We can't watch someone else fail and say, okay, I'm going to avoid that. Sometimes, you know, we're just stubborn people who go through it ourselves and learn the hard way. But that's the worst way to do it. And sadly, you know, Pharaoh gets to a point where he finally loses most likely what is at least something that he greatly loves, his firstborn son. And that's where he finally gets to a place where he says, okay, now I'm going to obey. Now I'm going to listen to God. Now I'm going to do what he told me to do. But you know what? I've seen so many people who are believers who struggle with addictions, whether it be a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction, pornography addiction, and they, they just keep doing it. And there's these warnings that God gives them of the devastation that's going to bring, how that's going to hurt their family, what it's going to do to them. And they just keep going and they keep ignoring it. And God warns them again, you know what? You're going to lose your family if you keep going down this road. I've seen too many people who keep going down that road and then they lose their family. They lose their wife. They lose their kids. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, yeah, I should obey. I should listen. I should do what God says. And it's great that they finally come to that place and actually do it, but how sad that they had to come to the place of losing what is so dear to them in order to get it ha- to have it happen. And some of them, in God's grace, are able to get back with their family, are able to restore that relationship, and sadly for others, it's gone. They've lost it, and they're never getting it back. It's just a sad reality of what happens. And so, you know, What a warning to us of Pharaoh, and we're going to see this as we go into these plagues and see his life of just the the hardness and the stubbornness and the unwillingness to obey, even when the warnings are so clear of what's going to happen when you don't. So let's take that to heart, that we don't need to be those people who wait till we lose what's dear to us before we finally start obeying what God tells us to do. So God shares two things with Moses before he leaves Midian. And now we're going to see kind of an interesting encounter that kind of jumps out at us out of the blue, it seems, of what God does on this journey with Moses. Notice what we see here in verse 24 through 26. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met with him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So here Moses is obedient in the sense of he's obeying God and going to Egypt like God called him to. He's leaving Midian. He's on the journey. He's with his wife, Sipporah. He's with his son. And all of a sudden we're told God's about to kill him. Like, well, wait a second. This seems to kind of jump out of the blue. God just met him in a burning bush. Everything was great. God just encouraged him. Everything was great. Now he's heading towards Egypt in obedience to the Lord, and the Lord's about to kill him. What in the world is going on? Well, we're not giving many details, unfortunately, about what's happening, but we we do get the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is that Moses has not circumcised his son. 
Now, remember, uh, we saw in Genesis as we went through that the significance of circumcision, the reason it was given. But let me just read in Genesis 17 a reminder so that we understand, well, wait a second, why is this so important to God? Why would he want to stop this journey and say, Moses, you're a dead man if you don't circumcise your son? Genesis 17, starting in verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. He's speaking to Abraham. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you, you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation shall be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham and the nation of Israel. And God says, every boy at eight days old, you need to circumcise him. And for those who were older, remember Abraham goes home, all the servants, everybody in their house, they weren't eight days old. They all get circumcised that same day to be obedient to this covenant. But notice at the end here, God's saying, hey, anybody who's uncircumcised, cut them off from Israel. Why? Because they're broken my covenant. God took this very seriously. And I want you to picture something here. Moses is going to be God's representative, God's spokesman to the nation of Israel, to the one that God made this covenant with but yet he's in a place of disobedience. He hasn't actually done that with his own child yet. Now, we're not sure why he hasn't circumcised his son. We're not given those details. Many commentators believe that um, because of the response of Zipporah, his wife, that it's possible that she didn't want it to happen. Remember, she's a Midianite. She's not an Israelite. Uh, and maybe she just thought, that's, I don't want to do that to my son. Uh, and so, you know, we're told that, you know, she says to him, surely you're a husband of blood to me because of the circumcision. And so she obviously was very repulsed by this. She actually is the one who does this. Um, but, you know, so there are commentators who think maybe it's because she didn't want it and he just wanted to keep peace in the home. And so he chose not to. Or it could have just been, he chose not to. We're not given enough detail to know. But at the end of the day, he's the one who's responsible. He is the man of the home. He should have been the one to make sure that his son was circumcised. And he chose not to. So Moses needed to deal with his disobedience in himself. He needed to deal with it in his own family. Before he goes and stands before the nation of Israel as God's deliverer. Before he stands and says, hey, the God who made the covenant with you, he's now going to deliver you. He's going to take you to the promised land like he said he would. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't really do it with my kids, but you know what? That covenant's so important. Circumcision's so important. I don't do it with my family, but I'm going to be the, the one who stands before you as the Lord's you know, representative. God's like, no, you're going to represent me? Deal with your family. Take care of it now before you go stand in front of the congregation of Israel. And I think something important to understand is that God holds people that he uses in ministry to a higher standard personally and to when it comes to their families. That's just a reality. We see that clearly in the requirements for pastors and elders. Notice we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. 
One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So in the requirement for elders, for pastors, they're saying, hey, if you can't take care of your own family, if your kids can't be in submission to you, if you can't deal with them, what business do you have in trying to deal with the church of God? Start in your home before you try to start with others. I think it's sad that so often you see pastors and elders, they're trying to fix everybody else and completely ignoring their own family. Oh, let me deal with your problems. Let me help you get better, even though you know I have a horrible marriage, even though I'm a horrible father, even though I'm not taking care of my family. Let me help you with yours. No, go deal with your own family first so that you can actually be a representative and example and do this the way that God wants And so God says, don't pick someone and put them in that role if they don't already have their family in order. Let them take care of that first. And this is what's happening with Moses. Moses, what are you doing? (laughs) You haven't dealt with your own son here. You haven't circumcised him. What do you think you're doing going and trying to represent me without that happening? That needs to happen right now before you go any further. David Guzik wrote this. There is often a point of confrontation in the life of a leader where God demands that they lay aside some area of compromise and will not allow them to progress further until they do. You know, I've seen this to be true in my life. I've seen this to be true in many people's lives who are especially involved in ministry that, you know what, we get to those points where there are certain compromises that we like to hold on to, certain sins that we're continuing in and that we're just not willing to give up. And there's a point in time where God's saying, you know what, if you're going to hold on to that, if you're going to keep that compromise going, it is going to keep me from moving forward in the ministry that I have for you. Until you give that up, until you lay that aside, we're going to stay right here. We're not going to move forward. I'm not going to put you more and more involved with things. I'm not going to give you more and more responsibility until you deal with this compromise that you're just holding on to in your life. And I think this is something that we need to recognize. This is so important. We're going to see later on that Moses, God says, speak to a rock, and instead he strikes it. Why does he strike it? Because he's mad at these grumbling Israelites. But God wasn't mad. They were thirsty. God says, you know what? Speak to the rock. I'm going to give him some water. Moses strikes it because he's angry at him. The water comes out. You know what his punishment was for that? He doesn't get to go in the promised land. He leads millions of people for all this time, 40 years. He doesn't get to go in the promised land. Why? He misrepresents God as God's leader. God takes it serious. And so this is something that as we want to be used by God, we need to recognize, hey, God takes serious the way in which we live, the example in which we set, the representation that we have towards him. He's not saying that we have to be perfect, but we better take serious how we live because God takes it serious and there's greater consequences to us in those roles. Well, now we're going to finish this section with God fulfilling two promises that he gave to Moses Remember, Moses is struggling. I don't know if the people are going to accept me. I don't know if Aaron's ever going to help me. I don't know how this is all going to work out. And God promises, no, Aaron's going to be your spokesperson. The people are going to listen to you, the nation of Israel. Notice what happens in verses 27 through 31. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. 
And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that He had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So here we see Moses and Aaron connecting. We don't know if they have any communication in the last 40 years. This could have been their first you know, reunite, uh, being reunited after all this time. But the key here I want you to remember is that God said, hey, he's going to be your spokesperson. He's going to be someone who's going to be with you. And so God fulfills that promise. And notice the other promise. They go to the leaders of Israel, the ones that Moses, at you know, 40 years ago, he tried to get on his side, and they're like, who are you? Do you think you're our king or our judge? You're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? They didn't listen to him. They didn't follow him. He was afraid that that was going to be the case now because I was the prince of Egypt, and they didn't follow me. Why are they going to follow me now after all I am is a, is a shepherd? God says, no, they're going to follow you. They're going to listen to you. They're going to believe you. And that's exactly what happens. They bring the message. And they're excited about it. They're so pleased that God has heard their cry. They worship Him. They believe and they respond the way that God said that they would. And I think this would be a great encouragement. I know it would be if I was Moses. Hey, what God said is coming to pass. Uh, even though I'm sure as he was going there, ah, these people aren't going to listen to me. I mean, they didn't listen to me before because I'm sure he thought I was so great before and now I'm so nothing in comparison. And they didn't listen to me as the prince. Why in the world are they going to listen to me as the shepherd? But God said they would. Let's find out if they do. And I'm sure once they do, it's just this reminder of, hey, what God said would happen, happened. God keeps his promises. And we're going to see that throughout, you know, we saw that throughout the lives of everybody in Genesis. We're going to see that through Exodus. But, you know, that should be a comfort to us because there are promises that we get that sometimes we think, how in the world is that going to happen? How is God going to provide for me here? How is God going to take care of this? You know, you know, how is God going to bring good out of that situation? I know he promises it, but sometimes we struggle with really believing it. And it's such an encouragement when we go through something and the promise is fulfilled. And I encourage you to hold on to that. Because the next time you face something similar, remember, hey, you know what? God fulfilled that promise before. He was faithful before. I want to just hold on to that and believe that he's going to be faithful now, that he's going to do what he said he would do. Because this is the easy part. These are the people who are desperate to be delivered. This is good news to them. He's about to give bad news to someone he doesn't want to hear it. So, you know, them receiving the word is the easy part. Mo the Pharaoh, that's going to be the hard part. Because he doesn't want to let the people go. He doesn't want to hear the fact that, you know, their God wants them to leave. But this is good because now Moses is just getting instilled with a little more trust that, you know what, God's got this. God's in control. God fulfills his promises. He's going to help everything come together the way that he said he would. I think this is great. Moses is now back in Egypt, the place that he failed, the place that he defe was defeated, the place that he fled. And now we see just the starting point of victory coming. It's going to happen. God is going to work in a way that He's now going to succeed. He's now going to do what He once tried to do in His own flesh. He's now going to trust in the Lord, and the Lord's going to do it through Him. And this is just such a wonderful thing that we see. And this is something that I hope brings you encouragement, because I know it brings me encouragement. That God is working in you. He's working in me right now. Just like he was in Moses in those 40 years in the wilderness, he's working in us. 
And He's doing that to change us. And so that when we face these areas of life where we have been beaten down, where we have been defeated, where we have failed, that God says, you know what? That's not the end of the story. I want to bring you to a place. I want to change you. That, that sin that you keep giving into, that you keep losing to, I want to get you to a place where you have victory in that area. You know, those relationships where you're struggling in, I want to bring you to a place where you're going to have victory in that area. I want to change you. There's going to be a return to those places where we once failed. But great for us is that we serve God who changes us and enables us to come back and things be different because He makes us different. So I'm encouraged seeing Moses, seeing what God's able to do in him, But I think a good warning to all of us is one of the reasons that Moses is able to be used in the way that he is, is he finally gets to a place where his heart is palatable, it's soft, it's willing to be changed, he's willing to obey. And we see the opposite in Pharaoh, a man who's hard-hearted, who's not willing to change, who's not willing to listen until he loses everything almost. And so as we... Look at this, and I want the encouragement that, you know what, you can return and find victory in the areas that you've once failed. But something for us that we need to do in order for that to happen is we got to be people who are willing to allow the Lord to do the work, who are open to Him, who are soft-hearted, who are humble, who are accepting of the work that God wants to do in our life. Because God's ultimately not going to force things on us. He didn't force Pharaoh to let him go. He just kept bringing more and more consequences until finally Pharaoh did it. So we need to humble ourselves and recognize as we do that, God's going to do a changing work because He wants to change us. And the great thing for us is the story is not where we are now. God wants to continue to bring great victory, help us to defeat the things that we once failed in. And so we've seen that. We've seen that with so many people that we've looked at through Scripture We're going to see it again with Moses. But the great thing is, it's not just people in the Bible. It's us as well. God wants to do that great work for us. Uh, And so hopefully that will encourage you, especially as you go through difficulty and you fail, knowing that, you know what, that's not the end. The Lord can work. The Lord can change. The Lord can help you gain victory even though you failed. Any thoughts on what we looked at tonight?